Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. So uh, I do want to acknowledge that the lands that we are currently broadcasting from have for tens of thousands of years been the lands of the Kulin Nations, the Woiwurrung Wurundjeri people, who have uh, managed and cared for this beautiful country, these beautiful waterways and skies uh, yeah, for, for a very long time. And I do want to acknowledge um, their continued connection to these spaces and acknowledge, pay my respects to elders past and present. Apologies for being so tongue-tied. What a start. So right now we're going to be having an interview with Wiradjuri man Ben Armstrong. Ben Armstrong, also known online as Barmy Army, is the director of the Aboriginal-founded and led not-for-profit Indigitech. Indigitech is a community of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are continuing a proud tradition tradition of Indigenous innovation and entrepreneurship in science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics. Their mission is to increase technology employment pathways for Indigenous people and they have a large online community and presence. Uh, Wonderful group. Um, You should catch them on uh, Twitch at some point as well. They have a whole range of different streamers. Um, But to speak more about Indigitech and their presence at next week's PAX Gaming Convention in Melbourne is Ben. Welcome to Indigenuity. Hey, Crystal. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. You're on a bit of a holiday at the moment, right? Uh, well, it's supposed to be a holiday. The weather's not fantastic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, we are. A little bit of a break before that, which is much needed. Oh, yeah, you're going to need a lot of energy. I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped, and I'm so excited to see what Indigitech has in store as well for PAX. Uh, but I wanted to start off with like a little bit of a background on yourself and Indigitech. For those who probably mm-hmm. haven't heard of it before, can you tell us a bit about Indigitech and the work that you're doing? Yeah, Indigitech's a, a not-for-profit and charity um, that, that exists to uh, you know, bring business people and industry together to create you know, places and spaces where mob can thrive um, going forward in the future, um, whether that's creative spaces, technology spaces, entrepreneurial spaces. Um, you know, the founders of Indigitech and, the, and all the members of Indigitech are, are involved in some way in technology um, and, and, the digi- and the digital future. Um, we've either been in tech for a long time or we're getting into tech. Uh, that's what we do. Um, yeah, sure. Um, but there's a lot of things that, that, that weave in and out of that in different ways. Yeah, I'm... I'm... You really do have, a, I guess, like a, a broad range of services and people and really technology belongs to so many at this point. Um, so Indigitech does have a very large scope. Uh, so for, for um, sorry, look, I'm, I'm very pumped for PAX. Um, I tried to give a little bit of an explanation of what it is before, but I was wondering if for our uninitiated listeners, would you be able to explain what PAX is to you and what it offers? Oh, PAX for me is... It's like the Christmas for nerds, right? Um, I remember the first PAX uh, Australia that I, and that was the first one, and the first one I'd ever been to. Um, it was just incredible. Um, it's a place where we can, we can, you know, turn up and and just really get so excited and passionate and have a lot of fun with the things that we love to do, um, either in our spare time or in some, you know, some people's cases, our jobs and. 
um, and just really meet other people who are like-minded, right? That's, that's, that's one of the greatest things about it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I love the comparison of um, like Christmas for nerds. I, I was so impressed when I went to PAX. I uh, was worried that I wouldn't really have much of a place there because like, I didn't do any PC gaming or anything. Um, so I wasn't really sure what could interest me over those days. And oh, it's, it's so wonderful. Those into vintage gaming like myself, um, you, there's so many old consoles that you can just sit and play. So many new consoles, especially when things have just been released and you get some early testing of it. Uh, and then also the, the tabletop area as well, right? Where um, us fellow Dungeons and Dragon nerds can uh, get together and play some games and buy some cool dice. So there's something for everything. There's something for everyone. Uh, and, and, you know, cosplaying, board games, tabletop games, you know, panels on all different aspects of that, whether it's, you know, how to get into gaming or different aspects of gaming, um, whether it's computer gaming or, you know, it, it, all of those different fields within this very, very broad space of gaming just come together in a very, very fun way. Um, where The energy is just really high and everyone's just having a great time. Yeah, I love that. And so this year, very excitingly, uh, Indigitech have been allocated a room up on level two. Uh, mm. Can you tell us a bit about what we can expect from this space? Firstly, this is a safe space for mob. That's what we wanted um, at PAX was, you know, we're obviously very aware of what it's like to be, uh, you know, Indigenous uh, in, in, in these different spaces. And... You know, one of the great things about Indigitech is we we're able to connect with all these, you know, these mobs who, who love to play all these different types of games, whether it's, you know, people playing online games or streaming or tabletop games. Um, and when we, went to, when we thought about PAX, it was like, well, what's a great opportunity. Uh, we all, we all want to go. We all love to go. But we want to create a safe space for mob there because that's still very important in the grand scheme of all the people who are at PAX. And it's never been done before. So that's what we really wanted to, to achieve first and foremost. Mm. Um, secondly, it was about, okay, well, how can we represent? Right? How can we also create a space that mob are going to be interested to come to, but also potentially non-mob are going to be interested to come to as well? Um, not as an education, but just as a, hey, what are these black people doing up here? What's going on? You know? <laughs> and so, you know, when we, what we've got going on in the room is so much. Um, so obviously we have a Digitech there. Um, we have Guck in the room who, you know, have created this uh, Indigenous-led mobile game. Um, and, you know, a large percentage of their team is Indigenous as well. Could you, a game development company. Would you have to repeat their name? Sorry, I missed it. Duck. Oh, Duck. G-U-C-K. Yeah. So they're going to be there. They're going to have their game there um, to, to sort of have a look at, which is really fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. We've got Indigenous there, so Keen and Muir. So we've got Indigenous. going to have a little pop-up store there in the room as well to... So everyone can talk to him about all things nerdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Ruby in the room, but primarily got Ruby in the room for a very specific reason, which I can't talk about. You have to come to Pax and find out why. Oh wow! And and then we also have Four Phase Games, who are a Maori game development company, or Maori. And we thought it was very important for us to be able to not just create a space that was safe for mob, but a space that was also a space that was also going to be safe for all Indigenous people. So Four Phase Games are going to be there as well, and they're going to be doing some demonstration stuff, and it's, it's going to be packed, and it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Oh, it, it definitely awesome sounds Black. it. Awesome Black will be there. Sorry, I forgot. Awesome Black, not really, didn't forget them, but they're there as well. Um, you know, again, just so much going on. <laughs> no, I love that. And you mentioned um, someone who, oh, look, I'm a big fan of, sort of from afar, 
um, but uh, Lama Lama artist Ruby or Life of Ruby, um, which which brings me to sort of thinking as well about you uh, have rec- semi recently. Look, I've had I've had COVID and I've had long t- COVID for two months, so like I have a very poor concept of time. But to what feels recent to myself is that you actually released some new merchandise through Indigitech, which actually featured the art of Life of Ruby, who's done some really mm. cool stuff. Um, I was such a big fan last year when she created some art for Twitch when they were putting the spotlight on First Nations creators. And this year she's done the same thing for Xbox with an Xbox mm. logo over her, her artwork, which is just phenomenal. So I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about these shirts because I know I've seen the design for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, it has these six iconic uh, uh, characters. I was going to call them like emotes because that's sort of like Twitch speak. Um, but these six characters on the front that are sort of like um, really cool comic book sort of style. And they seem to be consistent in your uh, imagery associated with Indigitech. And so I was wondering if there's like any significance to those characters on that shirt or tell us a bit more about that merch. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that all started off with emotes for Twitch, right? When we during COVID and during a lot of the lockdowns, it was like uh, Twitch was a really great way for us to continue to connect and engage with community, even if it was uh, you know a different part of the community that we'd actually uh, potentially never even connected with before. So Ruby came. Uh, we asked said, Ruby, hey, you know what? There's some emotes for us, and we love them so much. You know, they're in the Discord. Uh, it's mob only. Uh, they're on the Twitch channel. And I thought to myself, you know, this is really fantastic. I love this this art. Um, it, it's got such a great um, fun to it. There's, a, there's such a, so much fun to it. Yeah. But it doesn't feel right to just be like, hey, can we get some emotes? Thanks. Here's, you know, a once-off commission. So, you know, we're like, okay, how can we build on this? Because they are so fun. And they actually, you know, through Twitch become kind of a, you know, you're kind of identified to Indigitech in a way. So creating the shirt. Um, is all about um, helping to give back in that sense to Ruby for that contribution because um, it's a very important contribution, I feel, to, to our, as you mentioned, almost to our identity some, in some times. And so the shirt was one way for us to do that. We wanted to create a really fun shirt. Um, and we used Ruby's um, art and, and with, with permission, and then we got Jimmy to help do the graphics design for that. And that went out in the pre-release, so that's been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, when you come to PAX, I can't talk about it yet, but you'll <laughs> come and see to PAX, and you'll see some other things that we've been working on, all inspired by um, that work from Ruby um, and all of that going back to Ruby, right? So there's, like, mechanisms for us to continue to support Indigenous people in the community beyond just those once-off transactionals. I think this is very important for artists. I don't want to get on my soapbox too much. But transactionals for artists, I think, are just not in a great place, in my opinion. So it's about how can we continue to build and create revenue streams for these artists by them doing something that's really fun and then putting the work on to us to help create that for them a little bit. Yeah, I see so, that creating those opportunities. Yeah, that's right. And, you know taking off some of the work, right? Well, you don't have to do this. We'll do this, you know. Boom, we've got this. You know, it's fun. It ties in. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, going back to as well as part of that. So there's a lot of things that have happened. Uh, but we think it's a really fun um, way to engage and a really fun way to support, right? So yeah, um, we like that. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And uh, her artwork's phenomenal, and the shirts are very cool. Like, I, I, I was going to say cute, but I, I don't know if that's too, you know, that's... Um, but I, 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 yeah, I absolutely adored them when I saw them, and especially that familiarity with those characters and associating with in, them within Digitech. Uh, yeah, I just, um, yeah, absolute big fan of Ruby. And so then I want to get, a guess, a bit more specific about another thing that you're involved in at PAX, which is that you will actually be participating in one of the First Nations panels. Uh, and mm. So this, the panel is called um, Chicken Salt Bay's Indigenous Storytelling in D&D, which is very exciting. Mm. I was wondering if you could tell us who are the Chicken Salt Bay's and what can we expect from your session? The Chicken Salt Bay's are this... Um incredibly uh, difficult group to manage of D&D players <laughs> who don't want to do any quests, they just want to eat all the time. No, in all seriousness, Chicken Soul Bays, um, you know, I, 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 the Dungeon Master for Chicken Soul Bays, Ray Johnston, Celeste Carnegie, Kim Muir, and Carl Moon. So, really, it's all came about, again, from, hey, you're a black fellow who likes D&D, so am I. Oh, there's another one who likes D&D, like, scattered around, essentially, until we all came together in part, as part of the Digitech community and realised we can actually play a game of Dungeons and Dragons that's just mob, and that's pretty cool. And so we looked at Chicken Salt Bays as a really fun way for us to play. Um, and, you know, that's the first and foremost, right? We want to have fun. Mm -hmm. But also how can we create a space for mob within a space that is not traditionally known for mob, right? Dungeons and Dragons, typically, you know, Middle-aged white males. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're like, this is really, actually really kind of cool and it's really kind of important. So it, we, just, we, just, we just went with it, right? We just went with it and just started streaming on Twitch. Um, and it's really, really cool. And now to the point now where it's sponsored and we're actually able to hire Indigenous writer, Indigenous graphics design, overlays, right? Podcast creation, all oh, of wow. this stuff is generating opportunities for other Indigenous people in the space of tabletop gaming, production, podcasting, things like this. It's really, really exciting how it's been able to be almost an engine for that. I, I love that. I love that it's been able to evolve as well into something that's creating more out, like opportunities for other people. And as someone who is like, I'm such a big fan of D&D, it's been actually one of the main reasons I kept going back to PAX as well, because I love watching the live performances of D&D, especially someone who'd never played it before, hearing about Dungeons and Dragons, not knowing what to expect. And it's mm -hmm. become my favourite thing. And so for someone who is very interested in that area of gaming, and it's so niche, right? It's, it's a niche type of content to be consuming. It is very exciting to see an Indigenous group of wonderful people from all, all different fields, um, all clearly connected through Indigitech, um, coming together and being that representation in that area. I know it's such a niche area, but to me, it's so cool. Like, it's it's awesome to see, and I cannot wait for that panel. I... I well, I'm super excited for the panel. Even though it's listed as a panel, it's actually a game. So there's no real option to say this is a game, not a panel, when you sign up. It's going to be a full-blown one-shot. Oh, a yes. very quick one, yeah. but it's going to be a good one. For sure. And apologies for any listener, because I, I get very used to like the PAX jar like lingo or jargon as well. Um, these panels aren't just like, you know, a group of people sitting at a table just speaking to an audience. Uh, it's just the word given to those special type of events that are on a schedule, which come in so many different forms. And they're so fascinating. So in the case of Chicken Salt Bays, seeing a game performed live and being able to see comedians or other, you know, in this case, scientists and technologists and um, different sorts of creatives coming together to play these games on stage. Um, I've seen some really 
fascinating panels as well, like literally designing and creating a board game within an hour with the, from the audience suggestions and then having it available in the expo hall to play the next day. Um, and just wonderful panels from uh, a lot of, um, I guess, like marginalized communities as well and being able to hear their perspectives mm. and their involvement in the gaming industry. So these these panels or whatever you want to call them, these events essentially are just wonderful, so diverse and such different quirky formats as well. Like uh, just an awesome range. And so uh, when it comes coming back to Chicken Salt Bay as an Indigenous storytelling, I was very interested in that phrasing. And so I was wondering yeah. if you could tell us how suitable have you found tabletop role play games as a medium for Indigenous storytelling? Um, it's very suitable. I think, um, you know, at its heart, the important part there is the storytelling. And it's something that, you know, we're very good at. It's something that we, is part of our, you know, many cultures. Um, and it, it kind of flows naturally. If you look at what we're doing with Chicken Salt Bay, this, this, this latest campaign, this latest story, um, where we're writing the whole story. Um, you're going to see a lot of references in there that, as a, as a black father, you're going to go, oh, that's awesome, right? Or if you look at the last episode we had on uh, Twitch um, just the other, the other week, we had people in the chat Googling what we were talking about because clearly the Chicken Soul Bays were like, oh, my goodness, what is, oh, my goodness? And then that generated people going out and actually learning a little bit about some of the stories from some of the mobs. Cool. And, you know, this is, um, it just shows, and, I, and there's been a little bit of this, in, I think, in the broader sense of in tabletop role-playing, where Indigenous people have been able to start to tell their stories um, in, that, in this medium, but good ways, and the most important part, right, it's not, it's not that our stories are there for other people to just rip off and take and put it into their game. It's, it's, it's about us being able to do it. Like, mob, you know, Indigenous peoples being able to do it their way mm-hmm. um, and, buy, and, 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 and buy themselves for other people to consume. And, you know, as long as it's done that good, proper way um, and not being stolen, ripped off, then, um, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity. And... You know, as I said, when we got we got Pidge writing the story and seeing that that come about, and when when we're looking at it and reviewing it before the game, it's like nothing but smiles because it's mm-hmm. like this this is sick, this is awesome, this is this is a black fella story. That's what this is like in a different setting, but this is really just another black fella story that we you know we've we've heard or we've we've talked about or you know you know we maybe grew up with and just in a different you know potentially different setting. So. It's really, really cool. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I love it's it's like a it's like a nice invitation to in an area, especially gaming, right? Gaming, unfortunately, has a little bit of a reputation for not being the most uh, welcoming and, you know, being being a bit of a bigoted space quite often, especially if you're a woman or from any marginalized group on the Internet, you will um, probably become aware of these issues. And so I'm very very excited to see more of an Indigenous presence in these spaces. And I love that it's serving as like an invitation to people who are viewing, um, like viewing you via Twitch or attending on Sunday next week, um, to be able to hear your stories and to be able to learn any cultural uh, specificities from it as well. Like being like, oh, I don't get that reference or I don't understand this and being able to then seek out more. So I, I don't mm. know. To me, that sounds very exciting. Um, 
and I cannot wait for PAX. And I, I encourage any listener who maybe is feeling a little tempted to uh, hop online. I know there are still tickets for Friday and Sunday, uh, Sunday being Chicken Salt Bay's Day. So, you know, oh, things, things to keep in mind. Uh, on that note, though, Ben, thank you so much for joining us on Indigenuity this week. And I wish you all the best, best in the PAX preparation. Awesome. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Crystal. Good to have you on with you. Uh, always. I'll see you then. <laughs> okay. Talk to you. See you. Thanks. Bye. So, uh, yeah, we're just chatting with Ben Armstrong, uh, one of the directors of Indigitech, and just talking about all the exciting things about PAX this week. Hey, look, you know, this show was uh, dedicated to some nerdy stuff that I adore beyond anything. So I hope uh, you've been able to take a peek into the things that really interest me. Uh, Cannot wait for PAX next weekend. So excited that they have way more First Nations content. Uh, You know, I remember... um, just like, oh, I don't know how many years ago, a handful of years ago, um, before I ever did Indigenuity, before I ever gave a public talk or anything like this, I was at a panel in which Keena Muir was speaking um, as well as Ben about these topics. And uh, it's pretty crazy, I think, to think about how the years pass, see what they've been able to accomplish and to see where they have brought Indigitech and Indigenerd and Indigicon, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. Um, it's just been wonderful. So now um, I'm very excited because uh, this past week, just a few days, a few days ago, uh, a book came out that I have been so excited for, which is Plants, Past, Present and Future by Zena Cumston, Michael Sean Fletcher and Leslie Head. So this book is actually the fifth book in the First Knowledge series by Tamsin Hudson and the National Museum of Australia. And for those who may have, you know, might be regular listeners of Indigenuity, you might recall that the book that I've co-authored with Carly Noon called Astronomy Sky Country, it was actually the fourth book in this series. So this is the, this is the next one. And the reason I'm so excited for it is not just because it's a book in our series, but specifically the topic and the voices speaking to the topic are some of my absolute favourites on the planet, to the point where we've actually interviewed them a few times on Indigenuity prior to this. And you can absolutely bet that I'm doing my darndest to uh, get both Zena Cumston and Michael Sean Fletcher, past Indigenuity guests, Aboriginal authors, to come in to be able to speak about this book that they've written with Leslie Head. So... Um, For a bit of background um, about it, uh, this book is focusing on plant knowledge. Uh, I'm going to, I guess, like read a bit of the info from the book. I thought that might be sort of some interesting background. Um, But it starts off the same way that our back cover does too, (laughs) which is, uh, what do you need to prosper as a people for at least 65,000 years? The First Knowledge series provides a deeper understanding of the expertise and ingenuity of Indigenous Australians. Plants are the foundation of life on Earth. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have always known this to be true. For millennia, reciprocal relationships with plants have provided both sustenance to Indigenous communities and many of the materials needed to produce a complex array of technologies. Managed through fire and selective harvesting and replanting, the longevity and intricacy of these partnerships are testament to the ingenuity and depth of Indigenous first knowledges. Plants, Past, Present and Future celebrates the deep cultural significance of plants and shows how engaging with this heritage could be the key to a healthier, more sustainable future. The authors of this book are Zena Cumston, who is a Barkindji researcher, writer and storyteller who also sometimes works as a curator and consultant. She's passionate about plants and particularly about the many ways she, um, they elucidate the ingenuity and scientific knowledge of her people. Elucidate such a beautiful word that I've never had to use before. 
So Zena Cumston, um, we've actually interviewed semi-recently. I've interviewed her a couple times on Indigenuity. Um, have so much respect for her and the work that she's done. Uh, one of the recent chats that we had with her was actually because she's a co-author of the State of the Environment Report. State of the Environment Report. I feel like I sort of blurred that third word a bit for my own liking. Um, and uh, it was very interesting to chat with her about it because she gave insight not only into what the outcomes are of that report, which ultimately are great, but also to tell us a bit about some of the good things that have come out of the report, the fact that there is such an overwhelming representation of Aboriginal voices, not just as chief uh, authors and co-authors, but also in the fact that through the writing that these um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices have done, have included case studies from a whole range of communities. So hundreds of Aboriginal voices, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices have been able to be represented in this report. Um, so fascinating insights from her. And I do recommend if you want to go to rrr.org.au, look up Indigenuity, and you can actually see these past interviews for yourself at your own leisure, which is so wonderful. I love that we store it in this way because I get to go back and enjoy them too. <laughs> and then um, we also spoke to her uh, in NADOC week last year, 2021. Uh, during the week, which was called Heal Country, that was our theme. So she was the perfect person to interview, uh, has so much plant knowledge, but also gave some insight into how that we could start not just healing country, but starting by healing our own country in our own spaces. The differences that you can make in your own yards to promote biodiversity, incorporating native plants, which do love a whole range of native plants to be put together, not just a single one, um, which would be good for the local wildlife as well, who rely on those plants. So it's uh, a very cool interview. Um, I have always enjoyed speaking to Zena and the stuff that I learned from her and reading her personal perspective in the book is so insightful. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm going to save some of those tasters until we have them on air. And then another author is Associate Professor Michael Sean Fletcher, who's a Wiradjuri geographer and scientist and the Director of Research at the Indigenous Knowledge Institute in University of Melbourne. His research concerns the long-term interactions between humans, climate, environmental disturbance and vegetation at local, regional and global scales. He was super fascinating. Um, it was the first time I ever saw the word biogeographer. So that was a like seemingly a common sense word once you've learnt it, but not one that you hear in everyday conversation. And I thought that would be one of the in most interesting things that I got to hear about from him. But the thing that has stuck with me to the point where when we have done special uh, episodes of Indigenuity, where we have looked back on some highlights from some of our past interviews, this is consistently one of the things that I bring up, which is the, I guess, the, the topic that he showed to me, which I'd never heard of before, which was focused on uh, the myth of the pristine wilderness which is so interesting. And it all comes from the fact that as people, we quite often regard a wilderness as this beautiful, untouched, human-free environment, it, which is able to thrive in the best way that nature has evolved it to, which is actually not the case quite often, very frequently, especially on this country as well. The way that this country, this, this collection of countries was described back at time of invasion was as this beautiful gentleman's park that's so lush and so green and you can just walk through. And looking at all of this, um, I don't know the right, right word for it is, but clearly managed and cultivated areas, uh, which were growing crops, right? Completely different descriptions to what one might think of nowadays when we travel through rural spaces in Victoria. I tend to think of a bit of dry, shrubbery, you know, maybe bindies in my feet. Like, I'm, it's not something that I think of very kindly. 
And so it's so fascinating to see the way this place was described prior to what we experience now. And Michael Sean was showing how this is actually um, a really good example of this whole myth of the pristine wilderness, because those spaces at time of invasion were not wildernesses. All of this country is carefully managed by the communities to which um, those those lands, I was going to say belong, I know it's like a probably a weird word for the phrasing, right? But those countries are so carefully managed in such a specific way by those communities to keep them in such a lovely state. And so Michael was saying that to any knowledgeable Aboriginal person, when you stumble upon a, an untouched wilderness or a wilderness that has become untouched, he says that that is a sign of country that is sick, that is ill and is unwell, which, which is unmanaged. And so for me, that was absolutely fascinating. It's completely changed the way that I think of this idea of wilderness. Uh, and so, yeah, very excited to see Michael's contributions to, um, to this book. I it's a dream team line, line up for me. It's so funny. It's like other people have like, I don't know, maybe actors in a movie. And for me, it's like, ooh, <laughs> academics in a book. <laughs> yes, my dream team. And then third author as well is Leslie Head, um, who is a professor emeritus of the University of Melbourne and president of the Australian Academy of the Humanities. She's a geographer who researches the cultural dimensions of environmental issues, including climate change. So a non-Indigenous voice, but a wonderful human being, and I'm sure will provide a very interesting perspective to this book. For a bit of background, the First Knowledgeist series has been a, I guess, a coming together of sorts in every single book. Out of the five books so far, except for my book, all of them have been collaborations between Indigenous voices with non-Indigenous voices. And it's been very interesting to see that the way those two come together. And this is the first book with three authors. <laughs> so uh, I've just, I've, I'm partway through it. I'm really enjoying it. I uh, love seeing the way that they've uh, structured the different chapters around who's speaking and who is speaking to what. I cannot wait to finish it, and I cannot wait even further to actually have, hopefully, Zena and Michael on together, maybe, uh, to be able to chat about the book. That is my current goal. So you'll see if I'm successful, because it'll uh, be reaching your airwaves on a, a Sunday at 1pm in the future. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of it for Indigenuity this week. Um, I hope that maybe we've convinced some of you to convert to PAX, the gaming convention in Melbourne next weekend. Uh, there really is something for everyone. So if you know if you stopped buying new consoles in 1999, hey, look, I was the same as a four-year-old. Um, I never really learned games past that. Uh, so there's something for people who love vintage gaming, people who love board games, people who love tabletop games like what Ben Armstrong, our guest, was talking about. Um, if you want to see any cool ne- new technology, uh, or also just go to the, the panels, which, as I said before, are just a phrasing for a collection of events that broadcast so many diverse perspectives. Do you want to get into the gaming industry? Are you interested in... Um, uh, I guess, like arts and graphics? Are you interested in uh, games commentating? Uh, do you want to see some people chaotically uh, try and play a game of Dungeons and Dragons with Indigenous storytelling involved? Because if so, <laughs> on Sunday at 12pm, you can catch the Chicken Salt Bays uh, in all their glory. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.